Great. Well, if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Um, and as we've already said several times, we are working our way slowly through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, this is Jesus' extraordinary teaching for us, his disciples. Um, and we want to listen to what he says, and then we want to try and live in the light of it. Um, I, I, I think whenever we listen to Jesus, it leaves us changed. I actually think what Jesus teaches us today might change us more than anything else in this sermon on the Mount. I, I, I genuinely think that this section of what he teaches is like a real crescendo high point of the sermon. And I hope to try and show you what's going on here that could completely change our lives. That would be pretty cool. But let's listen to it first. Uh, Jesus says, this is um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's just stop there for a second. We'll, let's just think about that section. Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. I wonder if I said to you, um, how easy do you find praying? How much do you pray? Do you pray enough? Are you good at praying? Is praying something that comes easily to you? I guess that most of us would have to say, prayer's hard. We struggle to pray. We know we're supposed to pray, and then we read something like this, and we think, oh man, I really am rubbish. Well, perhaps Jesus has got some help for us this afternoon. Rather than Jesus coming with a great big mallet to bash you, perhaps Jesus wants to come with words that actually could change you, could teach you to pray. You see, the danger is, if we hear this and go, yes, I must try and pray more, what we'll do is we'll fall into the trap that he's just talk, talked of here, right? All our praying will be, will be like a mask that we put on. An, an outward performance that masks an inward reality. Jesus talks about the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites are like the, the stage actors who come onto the stage, they put on a mask and they play a part. Ha oh, ha ha, I am the evil baddie. But it's not real, it's not who they truly are, it's just an act. And Jesus says, don't, don't pray like that. Don't pray in a way that isn't genuinely who you are. Pray from who you are, pray not with a mask on. Don't pray so that people will watch a performance and be impressed. Pray because it's real. Pray because it's who you are. Pray because it's what you must do. Pray because it's authentic. And he also says, don't pray because you think it's a way of getting God to do things for you. You notice that? Don't pray in a sort of, oh yeah, God, I really need some stuff. 
like the kid who said, Mom, I'm going upstairs to pray. Is there anything you need? That sort of, I'm, I'm just going to go and get some stuff from God. And we can easily slip into this idea that to pray, if we put on a good enough performance in our prayers, perhaps God will give us what we're asking him. Jesus, don't do that. Don't babble on with words that are trying to persuade God to do something that he already knows you need. He's your father in heaven. He already knows what you need. He doesn't need you to tell him what you need. He doesn't need you to inform him of what's going on in the world. Like the great guy who preached, uh, prayed at a church service when I was a kid. It was one of the best prayers in church ever. He stood up and his opening line was, Heavenly Father, I don't know if you've seen the Daily Echo today. What an opening, what a line. What a great line. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been this thing that's happened. Now he's not a father who's distant and disinterested. He's not a father that we just kind of have to shout at. He already knows what we need. Before you even ask him. So why bother pray then? What is prayer about? What is prayer for? That's where I want to spend most of our time. That's what we're going to dive into. Why pray? And I think the answer might be different to what we expect it is. And the answer to that question, and if you've been coming for a few weeks, you're going to cry when you hear this, but it's just the reality. The answer is, you've got to understand what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to remind you of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you just take this out and go, oh, here's a nice prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. You will miss the point of it. Because what Jesus is doing is he's put this in the middle of his sermon. Right, okay. So what is the Sermon on the Mount about? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom? Okay, look, right. I know I've said this a lot of times, but I just need to keep trying, all right? Because I think this is so different to how we now normally think that we need to keep hearing this. Right, here we go. I've got some visual aids, which nearly got nicked by a kid. On the, um, Adeline nearly took these. I was like, no, I need them. I think she was surprised by my <laughs> passionate defense of the hoops. It's <laughs> like, no, I want them. No, give them to me. Anyway, took me back to being a child. Anyway. Look, right, this is heaven, this is earth, got it? Most people think that heaven and earth are like this. Here's earth, here's heaven, there's a big gap between them. And that the message of the Bible, here we are, we're all living on earth, it's a bit rubbish and a bit hard, and the message of the Bible is how do I get from there to there? How do I get taken out? Oh, I haven't got enough hands. (laughs) How do I get, you get it, right? Is there a way that I can get from there so I can go and live in heaven forever with Jesus when I die so that I can be happy and leave this horrible world behind? That's how so often we think the message of the Bible works. That's not how it works. When the Bible started, this is what it looked like. Heaven and earth, right, created. God, the God of heaven, created the heavens and the earth. They were overlapping, and humanity was created to live with God in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, in this beautiful reality. This is much easier. But when humanity rebelled against God, what happened was that there was a great divorce. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were separated. 
No longer could human beings live in the kingdom of heaven because they'd rebelled against the king of heaven and said, no, we want to set up our own kingdom. Now we've got two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And in the first part of the Bible before Jesus, what God does is he... I'm going to put this down for a second. I'll come back to it. What God does is he takes a people who are living in the kingdom of this world, which is a kingdom of death and slavery, and he takes this people and he saves them to be his His precious people. They were slaves and he brings them out of slavery and they become his. And then he says to them, I'm going to give you my ten commandments. And the ten commandments, right, are a bit of heaven coming to earth. They are God's righteousness, God's goodness. And God's ten commandments go like this. He says, I'm the Lord your God. He's speaking to his people. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of this land of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything on earth. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Here is heaven coming to earth and God says to his people, I want you to love me above all else. No other gods. I don't want you to take my name but not love me. I don't want you to take my name in vain. I don't want you to pretend to be something you're not. I want you to be my people. And so now there's this kind of heaven sort of is invaded. Love God. But there, were, there weren't four commandments. There were ten, right? The first four, love God. But then God said, honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not lie and you shall not covet. They're the six commandments that are about how we then treat one another. God says, if you want heaven on earth, then you have to love me with all your heart and you have to love one another as you love yourselves. And in that way, heaven will come to earth. Got it? And so God's people were living with this beautiful righteousness of heaven but there was a problem um, and this is now this is going to be really important we are going to get to the prayer this is just really important that we get all this stuff in our heads um, I've got one big thing I, I, I want to kind of help you to um, image I want to get uh, in, into your minds that I, I, I hope will help you and so I'm going to give you two illustrations where you can choose which one you prefer okay uh, one is more sciencey. Um, so, magnets. Let's think about. Do you remember GCSE magnets? No, of course you don't. <laughs> Look, right. Basically, in a piece of metal, there are all the atoms are kind of mag- This is so detailed. Magnetized, and they're domains, all right. And all the different domains point in different directions, all right. And therefore, it's not. It doesn't work as a magnet because all the things are pointing in different directions. What they need is to all be lined up in one direction and then the thing becomes a magnet. Okay, fine. Right, imagine a field, all right, and you release a load of dogs, right? Loads and loads of dogs, hundreds of dogs, and they're happy as anything. And they're running in a thousand different directions. Complete chaos. Right, that, that is what my human heart is like. I have... A hundred desires, all pulling in different directions. I have a hundred, I, I desire for my reputation. I desire for glory. I desire for, 
food. I desire for sexual intimacy. I desire for pleasure. I desire for wealth. I desire for success. All these desires, right? And they're like the bits of a magnet, all pointing in different directions, meaning that there's sort of chaos within me. You've felt that, haven't you? You have an internal sort of dogs running wild. (laughs) And those desires are part of what it means to live in the kingdom of this world. I have disordered desires. I don't love God and I don't love others. My dogs are going all over the place. And what the Ten Commandments do is that they come and they restrict the damage that those dogs can do. They place like a fence around the dogs. And they say, no, love God. And love others. But the trouble with the Ten Commandments was that they could never fully change the dogs. They could bring some control, they could restrain it, but they couldn't change it. And so you're left with this problem where you have the kingdom of God and you have the kingdom of this world. And God has given his good law, his good commandments, but the people of God don't love him like they should and they don't love others like they should. And the Old Testament ends with this kind of, well, how is heaven and earth ever going to be fixed? And then Jesus comes. Oh, man, we're going faster. Jesus comes. This is the key, right? This is crucial. When Jesus comes, something massive happens. Because Jesus comes from heaven. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He comes into this world. And now, heaven invades earth. Now, you have heaven and earth overlapping. Because now, Jesus is living on earth. And this is a massive moment. Heaven has come. Heaven has invaded. Which means that everything has changed. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says the kingdom of heaven has now come near. And he's now giving his law. Just like the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. He's now saying this is how you're to live, O people. This is how you're to live. And he takes those law, those good laws that God gives, and he says, I'm not just upholding those, I'm fulfilling them. Because now all that God said is now becoming fulfilled because now the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has overlapped. So now we live in the kingdom of heaven if we've come to Jesus. Yes, we still belong to the kingdom of this world, but we also belong to the kingdom of heaven. And that is what this prayer is about. That was long. That's what this prayer is about. It's about the kingdom of heaven. You see, you might think to yourself, look, we've talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven, but how do I get involved? What does it mean for me to be part of the kingdom of heaven? It means this. It means you pray. And it means you pray this prayer. Let me read it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Here is the remarkable thing about the kingdom of heaven. The Ten Commandments, God's law that he gave, it could restrain sin. It could restrain the dogs that run in all directions. When Jesus comes, he comes to realign everything. So if you like, he takes all those random pointy bits of the magnet and he lines them all up. Or perhaps more helpfully, he takes all of the dogs and he lines them all up together so that with one they can run with power to pull a sled. Do you see the picture? What would it look like for my desires, which at the moment are all over the place, to be aligned? That is what happens when you pray this prayer. That is why this prayer will change your life. Because when you pray this prayer, it is like a massive magnet that lines up all the bits of your life and drags you. This is not now just a fence that says, don't do this, don't do this. Do you notice the prayer is not negative, right? The Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The, but now, you see, in the, in the kingdom, the, the Lord's prayer becomes this. Draws you out. And I want to argue that the Ten Commandments and the Lord's prayer are connected. And that the Lord's prayer functions like the Ten Commandments functioned in the Old Testament kingdom. It's why if you go to many Anglican churches, you'll see at the front of the church the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. Because these are the two foundational pillars of what we believe. So, let me show you what I mean. Let's go through the prayer. I'll try and show you what I mean. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And you might say, oh, this is, that's nice, isn't it? It's nice. Oh, we've got a father. That's nice. Now, what Jesus is saying here is much more than that. Do you know the first time when you get the idea of God being a father in the Old Testament? is when God rescued his people out of Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt, God said, now I will rescue you and I will take you from being slaves and make you my children. I will be a father to you. You see, what God did when he rescued his people out of Egypt was that he proved that he was the father in heaven. Because remember that in Egypt, God did battle with the gods of Egypt and he demonstrated beyond any doubt that he is the God of heaven. He is the father of heaven and that no other gods could stand against him. And so when we pray our Father in heaven, we are saying, Father, the one true God, the rescuer of Egypt, the, the rescuer of Israel, the ones who take slaves and makes them into sons, Father in heaven, the one who defies all other gods, the one who's greater than all, the one who's more powerful than all, the one whose kingdom lasts forever, our oh, Father in heaven. This is not just, oh, that's nice, you've got a Father. This is, here is the one true God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's the Ten Commandments. Our equivalent is our Father in heaven. Do you see that they line up? And then if you look at the the, the petitions, the, the, the bits of this prayer, you'll notice it comes in two halves. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
you remember how the Ten Commandments start? No other gods before me. No images. You do not misuse my name. Remember the Sabbath day. In other words, love God. It all starts with God. This prayer doesn't start with us. This is part of the misordered, disordered desires, the dogs that run free, that basically say, I'm in charge. It's all about me. And my desires are about my fame and about my name. And so what does the prayer say? Hallowed be your name. Look, right, as you pray that prayer, as you say those words, hallowed be your name. That is, may your name be holy. May it be your name that's most important. May your name be seen in all its glory. Would your reputation be the reputation that matters? When we pray that, there is a dog in our heart that is pulled into line. See that? I don't know if that's a, I hope that's a helpful image. I hope it's making sense. There is a dog in our heart that wants my name. I want people to be impressed by me. I want people to think I'm great. And so when I come to decisions, I'm thinking, oh, well, what will make me look the best? As we try and decide what venue we should meet in, right? Here's something practical. We're trying to decide as a church whether we stay here or move to Borough. What do we do? We might say, well, I think that venue makes us look a bit better, or this one works a bit better for me. Actually, I like this one better. And then suddenly Jesus says, no, pray, hallowed be your name. And we go, Father, your name, your reputation, not mine. Your kingdom come. What are we praying when we say your kingdom come? Well, I think, I think we're praying this, right? I think we're praying your kingdom come. Yes? I think we're praying for the kingdom of heaven to invade the kingdom of earth. For more and more people to become part of the kingdom of heaven. To see that Jesus has come and is the king. And so we're praying your kingdom come. Your kingdom come until one day... His kingdom will fully come until one day the kingdom of this world will be, will be completely united and joined to the kingdom of heaven, heaven and earth together. That's what we're praying for. And we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, we haven't got time to do all these in massive detail. But what we're doing at this point is surrendering our will. You see, one of the dogs that runs over wild over here is called the I will dog. I will, I will, right? Rough. And it runs off. (laughs) And it's pulling me in all sorts of things. I will this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And as we pray this prayer, we sing... Your will be done. Do you see how that sort of gets hold of the lead of the dog and says, come back over here. Your will be done. Not what I will, what you will. Wow, that sounds familiar. You see, what we have here is the very prayer that Jesus prayed on the night before he died. As he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane. 
And he said to his father, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus did not want to go and die on the cross. Jesus knew that the cross was going to be agony and pain. There was not a little yappy dog going, oh yes, please, I'd love to go to the cross. No, it was horrific. Jesus says, I do not want to go to the cross, but I will go to the cross. Because that is your will. And so we bring our will under the will of God. You see, heaven, in heaven, God's will is always done. What God wants always happens. But on earth, God's will, what God wants, doesn't always happen. There's a big thing there about, it doesn't matter about that. Just take that for a second. What God wants doesn't always happen because God does not want us to hate each other. He does not want us to hate him. And yet we do the things he does not want us to do. And so as we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying your will, your will, your will, not I will, I will, your will, your will. You see it? And as we pray that, and as the kingdom of heaven takes hold in our hearts, we begin to love him more than us. That's the first half. Love God, just like the Ten Commandments. Love God. This prayer will realign your heart to love God as you should. What might you expect the second half of the prayer to be about? Perhaps it's about loving others. I mean, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Well, look at this. Give us today our daily bread. And you say to me, that doesn't sound like loving others. Why would you pray to have your daily bread? Remember the Ten Commandments, right? Come on, I know this is hard work. We've got to stick with it. In the Ten Commandments, the second, the, the second half of the Ten Commandments, the last six Ten Commandments are about taking, right? Taking, taking, taking from others. You take what others have. You take respect from your parents. You take the life of those you hate. You take the wife that you fancy of someone else. You take possessions that don't belong to you. You take the truth and you take anything that you can get your hands on. You take, right? That is what hating your... We take, take, take. And that's why God says in the kingdom of heaven, no, don't take, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie. And in the kingdom of heaven, it becomes this, instead of taking for myself, I learn to depend on God and say, God, would you give? God, would you give? Would you give me my daily bread? I'm not going to take it from someone else. I'm going to wait on you to give it to me. And if God gives it to me, then I can then be generous. I can overflow that to others. Why do I need my daily bread? So that I can do kingdom work. So that I can do kingdom work. Imagine I set up a gardening company. (laughs) And uh, you're all employed in my gardening company. And we're going to go and do a garden together. And it's going to be terrific. And because I know that you won't be able to do the garden unless you have some energy, I decide to feed you all first. And so I give you food. And uh, you have a lovely breakfast. We have a lovely time together. We're all nice and full. And I say, right, let's get to work. And then I discover that you all just go out and lie down in the park and sleep. You can see that that's ridiculous. Here's the deal. God gives us our daily bread so that we can get on with doing the work he wants us to do. He feeds you so that you have the energy to do the work he wants you to do. 
That's why he gives you daily bread. Not just to give you a full tummy. You say, oh, that's nice, I've got a full tummy. But every meal you eat, you should be saying, Father, as I eat this food, what could I use the strength that this food is giving me? What good thing could I use this food's energy to go and do? That would change the way you eat your meals. Who could I share the good things that you've given me with? This is what it means as we begin to see the kingdom of God come. A kingdom of giving, not taking. A kingdom of generosity where God feeds us in order that we might feed, in order that we might be generous, in order that we might steal and not sh- share and not steal. This is the kingdom of God. And we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, forgiveness is at the heart of this. In the kingdom of the world, oh, I can't be bothered. In the kingdom of the world, when you, get, when you do me wrong, I just murder you. I get angry with you. But God in the Ten Commandments says, no, don't do that. Don't murder, don't murder. But now in the fulfillment of the kingdom, the prayer becomes, forgive. Father, forgive me so that I might forgive. Do you see how everything changes? As we pray this prayer, as we ask God to forgive us, to forgive us for all that we've done, it then empowers us and releases us to be a community and a kingdom of forgiveness who go out into this world not to get revenge, not to get retaliation, but to forgive. To forgive in such a way that people might say, what on earth are you doing? You say, well, I'm doing what God has done for me. Forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is a battle. There is a battle. These dogs that run around within us, pulling us in every single direction. It is quite possible for those dogs to rule your life. For your desires, for your life to be completely controlled by the desires that rage within you. To be completely controlled by your desire for success or your desire for um, comfort or your desire for whatever it is that might be the dog that's particularly attractive to you at the moment. And it pulls you towards stuff. And Jesus, in this prayer, teaches us to pray every day, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I mean, to see where the battle rages and not to go there. Deliver me, set me free from the evil one. You see, that's the battle that we're involved in. In this overlap between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world, we live here in the middle and there is a battle to be fought as we bring our desires under the kingship of Jesus. And it's interesting, Jesus particularly zooms in again at the end then on forgiveness. He says, actually, that's probably the hardest one. Forgive one another. Look, let me try and take all this and make this practical. Jesus says this is how we should pray. If we prayed this way, I think it would have a real impact on our hearts. Do you see what I mean? This is not about putting a mask on. This is about having our desires realigned in order that we might see what matters most, that we might live for what matters most, which is the kingdom. You see, Jesus came to be the king of this kingdom. 
He came to rescue you from slavery and bring you into his freedom of being his child. He died on a cross. He gave his life so that you could be free. And then he says, now pray this prayer. So here's my question for us. How often do you pray this prayer? How often do we pray it? Because it strikes me, if I went to a... um, a cookery class, and I saw an expert, the greatest cook in the whole world, taught me how to cook a roast chicken. Strikes me that every time I cooked a roast chicken, I would cook it the way she taught me to cook it. Right? I'd be so arrogant to go, yeah, I know how to cook it better than you. And yet Jesus, the greatest of all kings, has told us how to pray. And yet most of the time when I pray, I don't pray this way. Isn't that weird? Actually, Jesus, I think I've got a better way to pray. Really? Yes, Jesus, I'm going to pray along. I've decided, Jesus, I'm going to pray in accordance with my desires. So, Jesus, here are the things I would like you to do. And Jesus, I told you how to pray. So here's something that I resolve from now on as a church that we will change. From now on, We will pray this prayer every time we meet. We will pray it together because it's how Jesus taught us to pray. And I actually think that I have failed as a leader in not doing this sooner. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. So that's a commitment for us as a church. And I want to suggest we can make that commitment individually. Look, some of you, right, you think, I don't ever, some of us really struggle to pray at all. Okay, this is easy, right? You could do this. You could pray this every day. It takes less than a minute. You could memorize it. And I don't just, I don't just mean use it as a suggestion. I mean, just pray it. Just take the words and pray them. And every time you pray them, you will find that this prayer begins to realign. There is power in this prayer to realign you with kingdom values. So if you have one minute to pray, pray this. Whatever else, pray this. And if you don't ever pray, start praying for one minute a day and just make it this. And then as you pray this, use this then to pray for longer. If you want to pray for six minutes a day, just take a minute on each, on each of the lines. Pray it and then think about how that applies into your life, how it speaks into your life. If you want to pray for an hour, you think, I could never pray for an hour. Yes, you can. Just take the Lord's Prayer. Pray for 10 minutes on each line, then you pray for an hour. Just think about it. Sit with it. I'm saying, I think we need to make this much more of our prayer. How do we pray for Gaza and the Middle East? This. Pray this. How do we pray for the poverty we see in our world around us? When you see an issue, don't just say, oh, Father, please could you help with that. Pray all of this prayer. Father, forgive me. Where Show me where I'm wrong. For my attitudes for the way that I'm greedy, for the way that I take, for the way that I'm selfish. Do you see, it exposes me as I go through it. Let's just pray this. He's given us what we need. 
And it's better than any prayer you'll ever pray. Now that's not to say he doesn't want us to cry out to him on our urgent needs. Of course, there's loads of that in the Bible. But we've got to learn to pray this way because this is the way he taught us. And I just don't think it's that hard. Now if you're forgetful, you could print this out and you could put it somewhere in your flat where you're going to see it every time you, you know, brush your teeth or whatever. You go, ah, oh, pray the Lord's Prayer. And bit by bit, it'll become a habit. And just imagine, here's what, okay, this is the final thing. Here's what you need to imagine. Imagine if we as a church committed ourselves to praying every day this prayer. What do you think God might do? How might God use that in our lives to realign us so much with the kingdom of heaven that suddenly everything we do, we see everything through that, that we say it's about him and his desires and what he longs for. I think it could completely transform us. Completely. I think Jesus has given us what we need. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to respond. And if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian and you've never prayed before in your life, this is a great way to become a Christian. Just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I do want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be part of your family. I I want to be able to call God Father. Pray it. And if you know him, then we're going to pray this together. So what we're going to do, I'm going to invite the musicians up. We're going to sing um, a song together. Then we're going to pray this prayer together um, as we respond. But let's be asking that God would change us. Um, I I feel really excited about what God might do through the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So why don't we, um, when the music starts, let's stand, let's worship Jesus, the great king, and then we're going to pray the prayer together.